Welcome to the Talking Tall Rounds series, brought to you by the Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart, Vascular, and Thoracic Institute at Cleveland Clinic. Hello everyone, this is Eric Roselli coming to you from the Cleveland Clinic. And as you know, we've been delivering these multidisciplinary Tall Rounds sessions where we bring many team members together to talk of their various perspectives on a focused medical problem. Last month, in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, our group put together a really wonderful comprehensive program featuring many speakers to give us some early insights on cardiovascular issues. For this podcast, I'd like to highlight two of those chapters, one uh, with a focus on myocardial injury and COVID-19 with a discussion about how troponin can drive the diagnosis of myocardial injury delivered by Vinu Menon, the director of our intensive care unit, and then followed by a second chapter, uh, which also ties in very well with the, with the diagnostic one, from Paul Kramer, who's going to talk to us about what we do and don't know about treating myocardial injury associated with COVID-19. I hope that you enjoy this podcast, and if you're interested in the full program, please connect to the link on the podcast shown here, or look us up online at tallrounds.org. Once again, thank you very much, and hope you enjoy this learning opportunity. Myocardial injury in COVID-19, and share some insights that we've garnered from the studies that have evaluated troponin release in this setting. So very appropriately, when the disease pandemic came out, our focus was focused on the lungs because like SARS, this was a disease that clearly affects the lungs and acute lung injury is a characteristic finding with ARDS being the dreaded complication. So shown here on the left is what happens in the underlying lung. You can see a classic lung image with a highly deposition consistent with ARDS in a patient with COVID. But more importantly, what I've shown you on the right is messenger RNA, is RNA transcripts all over the slide showing how this disease completely uh, overwhelms the lungs and causes lung injury. In the weeks since we've recognized this, we have seen that the disease is protein in many, many ways. So every week or every day, there's a new case showing a unique manifestation of this disease. Shown here is a case of ITP with COVID-19. Here's antiphospholipid antibodies in the setting of COVID-19. Recently, Guillain-Barre in eight patients with COVID-19. And if the dermatologists think they're out of the picture, here's a classic dermatological findings of COVID-19. But despite these newer manifestations, from the very beginning, our focus with COVID-19 has been on the heart because of how similar the COVID-19 SARS-CoV-2 virus is to the SARS virus that we know of. And that's because we know that in the SARS as well as in the COVID-19 virus, the receptor for it is the AC2 enzyme functional receptor in the lung. The SARS-CoV spike protein binds to it. It results in endocytosis. There's a down-regulation of the AC2 enzyme as a result of it. And we think there is unopposed angiotensin II activity that may be playing a role in the acute lung injury that characterizes this illness. 
We've also known from the very beginning that even with MERS and with SARS, you see these are cardiotropic viruses and cases of acute myocarditis were reported both originally in Singapore and China as well as in the Middle East in Saudi Arabia with MERS. So this clearly was in a virus family of beta coronary viruses that could cause cardiac damage. Troponin, for those non-cardiologists in the room, is an integral part of the contractile protein apparatus of the sarcomere. You can see that cardiac troponin I, T, and C are present in skeletal and cardiac muscle. And I use the word C troponin I and C troponin T because cardiac troponin I and troponin T is unique to the cardiac sarcomere. So whenever we do measure troponin levels, we know that that's coming as a result of myocardial injury. There is no other organ system in the body that produces this agent. So taking this background, let me highlight two of the early observations that we noted in the COVID era. This is the original study from China that brought some attention to this. As you can see, uh, these studies would not appear in such prominent journals in other times. These are observational studies, plenty of selection bias in that the ultimate population is a small fraction of the total number of patients encountered. But in these 416 con consecutive patients presenting to a hospital in Wuhan, they measured troponin levels serially in all of these patients. At admission, about 20% of them were troponin positive, defined as a high sensitivity troponin above the 99 percentile of the, of the measurable quantity. And 334 did not have troponin elevation. Shown on the right is what happened to these folks over the next month. You can see that with the presence of troponin injury, the association with mortality is extremely strong the curves diverge and diverge profoundly and continue to widen over time, suggesting that cardiac injury is associated with high risk in these patients. Here's a second observation from China, and this takes a look at what serial troponin elevations mean in this setting. Shown here are the troponin levels in patients on admission in both fatal as well as cured patients. You can see that in those people who had a relatively asymptomatic and benign course, the troponin levels were never elevated and continued to remain non-elevated during the course of their hospitalization or observation. In contrast, for those who succumbed, and you can see the classic deterioration that we've seen in day 7 to 10, the troponin yield increased serially during the course of the admission so that multiple people had troponin elevations after being negative in hospital, and then there was a further increase in troponin elevation before impending death. Clearly, the mechanisms of these two could be different, but you can see that the onset of troponin elevation appears to herald a patient who is at extremely high risk for mortality. And that is shown on the slide in the right, where you're showing the interaction of prior cardiovascular disease and troponin status. And you can see that the folks who have established cardiovascular disease and troponin are at highest mortality, whereas those who are troponin negative and have no cardiovascular disease do fairly well. This here is an observation from New York City, uh, which is quite applicable to any quaternary center taking care of patients with ST elevation myocardial infarction. 
It reports the first 26 cases of ST elevation noted in patients with COVID in New York City over the past two or three weeks. What I want to show you is that ST elevation is extremely common, but if you do have diffuse ST elevation, then the likelihood is that this is a non-coronary artery event and likely due to myocarditis. The other thing that's really important to distinguish non-coronary versus coronary manifestations of ST elevation is the echocardiogram, where clear regionalization of the wall motion was much more suggestive of an acute myocardial infarction, and Grant will speak a little bit about this. No matter what, shown on the left is the high mortality rate shown when patients present with ST elevation and a COVID presentation. You can see the overall mortality rate in New York City last month was 72%. For those who had a real myocardial infarction in this setting, and we could recanalize the artery with PCI, the mortality rate is about 50%. But for the group of patients who presented, like the one that Dr. Goyal showed with ST elevation and normal coronaries, the mortality rate is extraordinarily high. So the spectrum of myocardial injury with COVID is extremely wide and summarized on this slide. You can get increased myocardial infarction, either from plaque rupture or from demand. You can get direct myocardial injury as a result of the virus or as a result of cytokine storm. You can get increased electrical instability because of the myocarditis, but also, as Dr. Swenson mentioned, because of the drugs we use, like QT prolonging drugs, like the combination of clarithromycin and hydrochloroquine. So in summary, as we move on, we made some changes to our practice recognizing this. One, we started utilizing high-sensitivity troponin in COVID patients. So in the Cleveland Clinic, we've been relatively unique in that we've used high-sensitivity troponin only in the emergency room based on its sensitivity, and we've used a fourth-generation troponin in the rest of the hospital. Because of the, the, the findings with COVID, we feel that high-sensitivity troponin should be specifically used in these patients. Because of the course of troponinemia, we think it's very relevant to do troponins on a daily basis for the first three or four days during admission to recognize those who change from a troponin to troponin positive status because we think it, it heralds a high-risk group. We want to encourage performing a focused ultrasound to distinguish those with ST elevation with a myocarditis versus those who have a true ST elevation myocardial infarction. And finally, we have heightened awareness in the cath lab as we deal with this complication. So let me next call up my colleague, uh, Dr. Kremer, who's going to talk about therapeutics in this area. And Paul's done a great deal of work on this. Paul? I was tasked to talk a little bit about therapeutics for COVID-19, what we know and what we don't. And I've emphasized what we don't know because I think it's worth highlighting that the current treatment of COVID is supportive therapy. And as Dr. Svensson mentioned at the outset, there are no FDA-approved uh, investigations. So I think we have to be very careful in this changing landscape about what we talk about when we talk about standard of care and COVID-19. And related to that, I have a few disclaimers um, at the beginning of my talk. And one, as is, we all know, that the understanding of COVID-19 is rapidly evolving. What we know now is very different than what we knew even one, two weeks ago. Secondly, we've been inundated with anecdotes, case reports, and single-center retro retrospective observational cohort studies, uh, which are all helpful but have noted limitations. And related to this, the typical peer review process has been accelerated or even bypassed. I think we can add, at least for me, the word preprint to a word that I didn't know uh, a couple months ago. 
So I think a good place to start um, in terms of what's going on in research in COVID-19 is clinicaltrials.gov. So as of yesterday, there's nearly 700 studies uh, that are registered. Uh, Two-thirds of those are interventional studies, so those are clinical trials. Um, however, it's worth noting that the number of studies actively recruiting currently in the U.S. remains quite small uh, at only 7%. And you can look at clinicaltrials.gov and get a sense of the lines of investigation that various colleagues uh, are pursuing. Uh, and it's, uh, as Dr. Menon mentioned, it's protean. Um, but as it relates to cardiovascular medicine, I think we can focus on a few key areas, the ACE inhibitors, the ARBs, the antivirals, antiplatelets, anticoagulants, and I'll spend most of my time uh, addressing the potential role of immunosuppressives. All right, so this is the, the paradigm that we've come to recognize uh, in COVID-19, that there's really three stages, that there's initial asymptomatic stage with a prominent viral response. Um, that patients then progress to a second stage um, where um, they have non-severe disease but are, but are symptomatic. And there's a subset of patients, unfortunately, that develop uh, severe uh, inflammation uh, characterized by the so-called uh, cytokine storm. And I think an important concept is that the treatments that are appropriate may be different in different stages of the disease. So for stage two, we may focus on antivirals and viral clearance. And in stage three, in the later stage hyperinflammatory phase, we may focus on immunosuppressives or immunomodulatory agents. So there may be drugs that actually work in terms of viral clearance early in the disease, but are actually uh, deleterious in the later stage uh, of severe inflammation. Um, so how do we think about COVID-19 and, and hyperinflammation? I think it's useful, uh, this construct of the uh, continuum of immunological disorders from the innate to adaptive immune response and thinking in terms of loss and gain of function. Because for me as a cardiologist, I always was confused how a disease like primary HLH, which is an immunodeficient condition, actually leads to profound hyperinflammation. And in the context of COVID-19, how could that potentially happen? Well, coronaviruses can downregulate uh, interferons Okay, so this would be a loss of function in immunodeficient, relative immunodeficient condition. But that results in a secondary wave of macrophage infiltration and inappropriate upregulation of the innate immune system with cytokines such as interleukin-1, interleukin-6, GMCSF, etc. Conversely, we can just be uh, revved up the entire time uh, uh, from the outset. So I think this is an important concept in terms of how do most patients get to this in hyperinflammatory state? Is it an initial immunodeficiency condition related to the virus or are some people just uh, uh, hyperactive throughout the course? As it relates to, to cardiac uh, manifestations, there's really three questions that, that come to mind, some of which have been touched upon, is that one, what is the mechanism of SARS-CoV-2 uh, myocardial damage? Two, to what extent are these patients a distinct population? And then finally, what are our treatment options? So just to take a step back, how do we define acute cardiac injury? Well, it's been defined in the past in, in viral studies fairly broadly, uh, just simply as an elevation in serum cardiac markers. And as Dr. Menon mentioned, in the early observational cohort studies in COVID-19, the reported incidence ranges from 8 to 28%. Now, I think for us as, as cardiologists, we're very familiar with this, but it's worth emphasizing that we should distinguish uh, myocardial infarction, so that is injury associated with ischemic signs and symptoms, from uh, myocardial injury, uh, which is a rise and fall of troponin without ischemia. 
Um, and as we'll mention, viruses are well known to precipitate both myocardial infarction uh, and acute myocardial uh, injury. Though, however, um, it hasn't been in the past too common to see these manifestations with other coronaviruses. So, for example, with SARS, which has a case fatality rate of around 10%, um, cardiac complications are limited to case reports or series. And there's a similar observation uh, with MERS, where you can find case reports but hasn't really featured uh, predominantly uh, in the disease. And so already there's been a couple of case reports related to fulminant myocarditis in COVID-19, similar to the case that Dr. Goal uh, presented at the outset. Um, so you can see a case of, of perimyocarditis. Uh, this is a case of, of fulminant myocarditis with acute lymphocytic myocarditis on histology. But I think an important point, at least to my knowledge, uh, unlike the, the slide of the lungs that Dr. Menon showed, I don't know that we've yet demonstrated viral genome in an endomyocardial biopsy specimen. So it's not really clear what's going on in terms of the myocarditis in COVID-19. And while I think it can be a presentation, it seems to be a minority of patients. And also, as Dr. mentioned, Dr. Menon mentioned um, the ACE2 uh, receptor seems to be important. Um, however, this is something we've known uh, from, uh, from SARS, uh, CoV-1. Um, and it's important that we recognize that the downregulation of the ACE2 receptor can lead to unopposed upregulation of angiotensin II. And that's why there's some investigations actually looking at ARBs uh, in the treatment of, of COVID-19. But all that said, a lot of these patients do progress to a hyperinflammatory state as a primary cause uh, for their demise. And there's multiple factors that contribute to this so-called cytokine storm or microphage uh, activation syndrome that likely include a genetic predisposition that's heretofore, heretofore undefined, some background inflammatory activity, the infectious trigger, uh, and then inappropriate activation of the innate immune system. So here's some data from an initial preprint uh, in China looking at cytokine and chemokine profiles uh, in patients in the ICU or not in the ICU uh, with COVID-19. And again, this is preliminary data, but is similar to what's been previously observed in other coronaviruses. Uh, and that is that the patients that are sicker have higher levels of inflammatory monocytes, expressions of GMCSF and IL-6, and also secondly have pathological activation of type 1 T helper cells uh, in COVID-19. And we know that these patients that are hyperinflamed are more likely uh, to die from COVID-19. They have higher levels of CRP, IL-6, uh, ferritin, uh, and AST. So then the second question is, to what extent are these patients with myocardial damage a distinct uh, population? Well, we know that there's more prevalent cardiovascular comorbidities, including coronary disease, chronic heart failure, hypertension, diabetes mellitus, and obesity. And this uh, idea does support myocardial oxygen supply and demand mismatch uh, with ischemia in a vulnerable population. But I'd like to highlight a couple of points. Uh, this slide is one that Dr. Menon already showed, which shows that, yes, the highest mortality is in the patients who have established cardiovascular disease with an elevated troponin. But what's interesting is even in patients who don't have known cardiovascular disease and elevated troponin, the initial mortality rates have been quite high. So that would suggest that this is not being entirely driven uh, by the comorbidities. Uh, the second point is that there is a correlation between this elevation in the CRP and the elevation in the troponin. And what you can see, at least in the initial reports, is that the majority of patients who have an elevated troponin also have quite uh, marked elevations uh, in C-reactive proteins. 
So I, I think this um, construct um, is helpful in how we think of um, myocardial damage in COVID-19, is that I think as cardiologists, we're used to thinking about the ischemia signs and symptoms, but we should also be thinking about uh, hyperinflation uh, in our patients. And I would say that a lot of the patients um, who have uh, elevated troponin, given the very high mortality rates we've seen, around 50% uh, in initial reports, that a lot of these patients are in this final stage of, uh, of hyperinflammation uh, related to COVID-19. So what do we know about potential treatments uh, to block this inappropriate activation of the innate immune system? Well, for over uh, 25 years, um, We've been using, or at least 25 years ago, we used interleukin-1 antagonism in severe sepsis. This is data from a randomized controlled trial of nearly 900 patients using anakinra. And what I would note is even though there was no uh, difference in mortality overall in patients with, with severe sepsis in further subgroup or hypothesis-generating uh, types of analyses, there were uh, differences seen in patients who had organ dysfunction or who had features of secondary HLH. The other thing that's important to know is that um, there was no difference in serious adverse events uh, in the use of interleukin-1 antagonist, even at very, very high doses in these studies, much higher than what we typically use now for rheumatoid arthritis or, or in my field in recurrent pericarditis. So what uh, randomized controlled trials are currently being uh, performed uh, with immunosuppressives in COVID-19? So we have randomized controlled trials with the interleukin-6 antagonist. We have uh, trials going on with anakinra. Uh, GMCSF antagonist, and actual multiple studies uh, that involve colchicine, which inhibits uh, tubulin polymerization and inflammasome activity. Um, so based upon this underlying biological plausibility of uh, hyperinflammation uh, leading to demise and inappropriate activation of the innate uh, immune system, um, we have an FDA-approved uh, investigator-initiated study here at the Cleveland Clinic looking at acute myocardial injury. It's a placebo-controlled, randomized controlled trial using canakinumab, which is an interleukin-1 antagonist. Um, that includes, uh, that's specific to patients who have acute myocardial injury with elevated troponin, elevated NT-proBNP, and elevated CRP. So to conclude, um, uh, we're used to thinking about signs and symptoms of ischemia, but I think in myocardial injury in COVID to risk stratify, we also need to think about the, the features of hyperinflammation and that these patients tend to have more cardiovascular comorbidities uh, and higher CRPs. And I think that the ter therapies that target the innate immune system and inflammasome uh, may be effective in this setting. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Like what you heard? Visit Tall Rounds online at clevelandclinic.org slash tallrounds and subscribe for free access to more education on the go.